You're listening to the Science Line Podcast. This is the sound of science. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome on board this nice Airbus 320 of our destination to Hanoi. Anyone who frequently travels across time zones knows that feeling. The disorienting, sleepy awake feeling, like you've been hit by a bus feeling, jet lag. Today I'm talking to two people who are well-versed in jet lag, first a retired pilot who flew around the world, and then an Oxford scientist who thinks we may be close to finding a cure for jet lag. Scott is a retired pilot who can prove it with his pilot voice, and he has traveled pretty much everywhere. Most of my flying was in Asia, across the North Pacific, across the Atlantic to uh, Europe, a number of around-the-world trips, and then to a lesser extent, South America, and uh, charters uh, in and out of uh, North Africa. He's someone who dealt with a lot of jet lag in his life. If you're flying eastbound, uh, it's been a very shortened period of darkness, and now uh, the sun uh, jumps up, and uh, you might even fly during the in, in, on that leg between Paris and the Philippines. You might watch the sun set again uh, and arrive in the Philippines uh, after a very short daylight period and land at night. Needless to say, it started to wear on him. As I, as I got older, the uh, time zone changes and the circadian disruption was uh, harder and harder to overcome. Um, the fatigue began to be cumulative, I think, and I really didn't appreciate that until after I retired, stopped flying. It's an important issue because who wants to be on a plane with pilots who are so exhausted they can't keep their eyes open? You know, there are a number of um, accidents where uh, pilot fatigue was a contributing factor. So how do pilots do it? On long flights, they actually have two crews and beds. We had a couple of legs that were 13 hours, and one of those was Paris to uh, the Philippines. And so we effectively had uh, a duplicate crew, and there were two bunks just outside the uh, cockpit. When you left Paris at uh, maybe 4 a.m. Paris time, then um, as soon as you got uh, the airplane climbing out, two of the people would go back and get in the bunks and try and uh, take the first rest period. And then uh, six or six and a half hours into the flight, you'd uh, switch, and, um, and they would come out and uh, take your place in the cockpit, and you would go back in the bunks. But on smaller flights, pilots have to coordinate work and naps. In crews, the workload drops to very little. And so uh, it, if you're, let's say you're a day or two into a, a trip, it's an overwater leg. And so there's very little uh, chatter on the radios, and uh, you're obligated to make a position report uh, only once every 45 minutes or so. So it was uh, almost impossible to keep everybody awake continuously. (laughs) And so the understanding was that if somebody needed to close their eyes, you know, and just uh, tip their seat back, uh, then uh, we'd trade off, and uh, somebody would be responsible for monitoring the the airplane, but then the other guy could uh, close his eyes and take a cat nap. I asked Scott how he dealt with jet lag. His answer? Coffee. Lots of it. I normally uh, had my first uh, cup of coffee in the shuttle van on the way to the airport, 
if you are flying at an odd uh, time of day, the likelihood was that you were trying to sleep one hour before your pickup at the hotel lobby. And um, I would wake up not feeling particularly refreshed. And uh, then the airplanes had um, a little galley that included uh, a coffee brewer. One guy would be responsible for the uh, pre-flight of the airplane interior and the cockpit, and one guy would do the external uh, pre-flight. So the guy that did the inside of the airplane would immediately start a pot of coffee. And that really didn't depend on the time of day. (laughs) You knew you were going to need coffee. What other things did his co-pilots try? Exposure to bright light was one of those things that could help reset your your internal clock. Uh, and there's nothing quite as bright as the sun coming up in your face and streaming through the uh, cockpit window. What if there were a cure for jet lag? Scott says if there was a pill, he would have taken it. I would have, yeah. The uh, When I retired, uh, mandatory retirement uh, was age 60, and it's since been rate, raised to 65. Um, and when I think about what it would have meant for me to try and fly an additional five years, if there were something that was uh, effective and safe and, uh, and sanctioned by the FAA, yeah, I would have certainly given it a try to see uh, what it would have done for me personally. Oh, I'm an airplane on the highway, and I feel so strange. Yeah, I'm an airplane on the highway, and I'm so sick of the passing lane. I gotta know if it's true. They say there once were airplanes that in the sky flew. How close are we to having a pill for jet lag? This next researcher... My name's Stuart Pearson, and I'm a senior research scientist at Oxford University. Thanks, we're pretty close. Jet lag can have many bad effects, short-term and long-term. The most apparent um, effects of short-term disruption of circadian rhythms is just the, the very familiar feeling of being you know, tired at um, you know, inappropriate times, so being tired in the middle of the day. But it can also have a you know, big effect on performance. So, for example, um, your performance at about 3 o'clock in the morning, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, is the equivalent to actually being over the legal um, alcohol limit for driving. It's that badly impaired. Long term, there's quite a bit of um, epidemiological evidence suggesting that people who have undergone disrupted circadian rhythms for years, so due to things like shift work, very regular transatlantic travel, there's actually increased risk of some quite serious illnesses, including cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease like diabetes, and also even certain forms of cancer. But why do we have jet lag in the first place? Do we have an internal clock? Um, and this sort of this clock is actually um, sort of centered around a part, a part of the hypothalamus in the brain, and this clock can actually tell time. So if we're actually in constant conditions, if you're kept in a dark room for a week, you will still work to a 24-hour rhythm. And that's because of your internal biological or circadian clock. Um, and this clock occurs with the, at the level of individual cells. Individual cells can tell time. And the basis for that is these um, genes called uh, so-called clock genes, which are expressed. They produce proteins. The proteins interact with each other, feed back into the nucleus, and switch off their own expression. So you have a feedback loop that occurs within cells over 24 hours. Um, 
and that is actually the basis of the, of the of circadian rhythms. Now, because we have an internal clock, with jet lag, what happens is all of a sudden our circadian clock, which is actually set by the local light-dark cycle, all of a sudden it's at a completely different time. If we move six hours across the Atlantic, then all of a sudden our clock is six hours out. So all of our physiology and behavior that the clock regulates is at an inappropriate phase. As a result, you're, you know, will then be um, feeling tired when it's the middle of the day in your new environment um, and then unable to sleep because you'll be feeling wide awake when it's the middle of the night. So your body clock is not set to the local time. The reason for this occurring is that whilst your clock is set by light, it c there's a limit on how quickly it can be reset. And that limit is around an hour per day or one time zone per day. So if you move six hours across time zones, it will take you around five or six days for your clock to catch up. And that's what we experience with jet lag. Pearson identified a gene that was involved in jet lag. The gene that we identified, SICK1, um, this acts as a natural break, limiting how much you can shift your clock. If you suppress the, um, the activity of this, this the protein product of this gene, what actually happens is that we did this in mice, that instead of taking five or six hours, sorry, five or six days to shift a, a six-hour shift, um, they can actually do it in one or two days. So how does this help us get a jet lag cure? Well, it gives you a target. Um, I mean, it, it clearly explains that what this actually does is it's, it allows your clock to shift um, itself, but it, um, it's basically it's like taking the handbrake off. So it actually, but your, your clock can shift itself and shift a lot quicker. So it gives you a target to develop new drugs. So it's a, a protein kinase, and they are, um, as they say in the pharmaceutical industry, they're quite druggable. You can develop drugs to target them. One of the big problems of drug discovery is actually trying to get such a specific effect in just one tissue without getting any off-target effects, which would cause you know, side effects of drugs. Trying to get drugs to get across the blood-brain barrier is also another problem. So it gives us a target. Um, however, once you've got a target, one of the things that the pharmaceutical industry, for example, is very good at is screening thousands and thousands of compounds to then try and find one that effectively hits that target. So um, it's, you know, it's certainly, um, it's going to be a few years off yet, but um, it certainly should be possible. In the meantime, Pearson gives sage advice on how to combat jet lag. Well, people have shown that you can use um, you know, um, supplements such as um, melatonin quite effectively but of course melatonin is normally produced by your pineal gland um, and it acts as a signal for your body that it, of darkness um, so you can take melatonin but one of the problems is you've got to make sure you take it in the right way if you just um, because of course with the circadian system the time at which you take a drug is very important so with melatonin, you should be taking that on an evening before you go to sleep in the new time zone at which you've arrived at. Um, and um, also exposing yourself to daylight. As I say, what your body's trying to do is set itself to the environment. So what you need to do is avoid bright light on the evening in your new, new environment and um, get light exposure on the morning. And that will help your body re-entrain the new environment more quickly. The difference with the if we could actually drug, um, you know, find a drug to target this um, gene sick one that we identified would be that you could actually um, take the drug before you flew, and when you arrive in your new time zone, you would entrain, you would, you know, 
your clock would shift far more quickly. So while we don't have a pill yet, we can dream about the day when we can rest our heads in New York and wake up in Hong Kong completely rested. This podcast has been brought to you by ScienceLine.org. Thanks for listening. 